Good morning, Liberty. How are you all doing? Good. Did you all see Laura over on the cajon today? All right. First time, right? Is it your hands hurting a little bit? All right. We'll get you a massage or something afterwards. We'll get justice on that, all right? Very talented, Laura. Thank you. Thank you to Chris and the worship team. They do an awesome job. We are blessed, right? Give it up for them, please. We had a good work day yesterday. Got a whole bunch of stuff accomplished, even stuff in here you might not even notice, but we got some stuff pretty much throughout the whole church. So we keep on uh, cleaning out and cleaning up and and getting ready. As you all know, SCCHE is going to be meeting here uh, come this school year, which is going to be here quicker than we know it. So we've been taking those opportunities, and some of us have been getting up here on Wednesday uh, evenings to also do some work. So we are making progress, and that is exciting. also want to invite everyone uh, to uh, the 4th of July party at our house. So that'll be at 4 p.m. We'll be shooting off fireworks. Feel free to bring your own. There's a sign-up sheet that uh, Justice emailed. If you can just make sure you sign up, that'll give us uh, an idea of how much uh, food to get. And then you can bring a side or a dessert or something like that. But going to be a lot of fun at four o'clock. The party is, is kicking off. Anyone is welcome to come to that. Kicking off with a bang. That's right, Mike. Where's that little rim shot on the cajon? That's, that's what we need. All right, let's pray before we open the word. Father, thanks for all the work you're doing um, on this building, Lord, all the hands coming together to um, keep it in a, in a shape that is uh, able to be used for ministry. We thank you, God, even in the last few weeks with the different uh, band camp and different SCCHE events going on, Lord, that our building is being used um, as a place for ministry to occur, as a place for uh, children to be educated and taught. God, continue to use our building, Lord. Um, as a beacon to our community. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless the ministry of your word. Let it uh, quicken our hearts. Let it aliven our minds. And let us put to action what we hear for your glory. Amen. All right, I don't know what y'all been... Well, I know what some of y'all been doing with some of your um, spare time... Uh, during the, the quarantine, but I, I know some of you are, have had more time. Some of you, it's, it's starting to pick back up again. We've kind of used it as an opportunity um, to do some different house projects. I know some of you have too. And so we've been kind of up doing some things. We painted two of our kids' rooms, swapped out some furniture, did some upgrades via Facebook Marketplace. One of the things, though, um, that we ended up doing was we ended up uh, buying a new bike, for Andrea. She had really wanted a, a, a decent bike for a while. So we found a really good deal that required us going down um, kind of towards uh, University City in that area. And so we ended up um, connecting uh, with this lady. And when we were headed down there, she was like, you know, meet us in the parking lot of this church. It's really close to where I live. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But we get to where we're going. And um, and, like, the, the parking lot has a, a gate, and it's closed, and there's no cars there. And I was like, uh, we're just going to park outside, you know, because if I, I, I mean, 
I'm the pastor of a church, right? I just don't want no, nobody just pulling in my parking lot whenever they... Uh, I guess I kind of do let people do that, don't I? <laughs> but if there's a gate there, I, I'd like that gate respected a little bit. We don't have no gates. That'd be a long gate, wouldn't it? Um, so we're waiting there, and then um, her uh, <clears throat> and her friend come uh, walking along with this bike. Super nice. And they're showing Andrew the bike, uh, having her ride the bike, telling her all about the bike. And, and we're like, hey, I mean, it's, it's a bike to us. But it's kind of like this, this lady's, you know, baby, basically. It's like in pristine condition. And I'm like, okay, you know, we pay for it. And, and she's like, what, do you, do you have like a bike rack for it? I'm like, no, I'm just tossing it in the, in the bed of my truck. <laughs> and she's like, really? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I got to get it home somehow, right? She's like, well, uh, do you have like a bungee cord? And I was like, Oh, I don't know, maybe, I mean, it, it'll be fine. It'll be, no, no, you got to have a bungee cord. I'm, I'm walking back home to get a bungee cord for you. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I hope you live close. <laughs> so she, she takes off and her friend, and um, I ended up finding a, 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 a strap, so I kind of ratcheted down, and, and she ends up coming back about five minutes later, and she's got a bungee cord, and, and she's got um, a blanket with her. She's like, I, I brought a blanket <laughs> for you to put over the bike so it doesn't get dirty on the way home. I'm like, uh, you know, and so I'm like, at that point, I feel like kind of obligated to take the blanket, you know, and kind of wrap up the bike or whatever. <clears throat> but I was, what, honestly, I mean, I, I'm, you know, so everyone has kind of their own thing, okay? So if we wanted to switch, we're all laughing, but if we switch the tails a little bit, like I'm pretty particular when it comes to my books, Right? So if, if I gave someone a book, I'd try to give it to them in good condition, and my hope would be that they would continue to treat it in that nice, good condition. I know some of you all don't. You, you bend your books up, and you, it's like you drag them behind your car or something like that. I don't know. I've seen some of your all books. <clears throat> I like to treat my books nice, right? So she likes to treat her bicycle nice. It just, it was interesting that she kind of went out of her way to help us, one, feel welcome, to two, make everything smooth with the purchase. But three, to make sure that we, we had what we needed to do to get that bike home, in her opinion, right? I mean, I was fine with just tossing it in there. But she wanted to make sure we had the necessary things to safely transport their bike. Andrea even snapped a pic once we got home and sent it to her and was like, hey, she made it home safely. <laughs> but <clears throat> it just kind of made me think, like, for ourselves, what are we willing to do to minister to other people. Because I really felt like she went the extra mile for us. And I mean, even Jesus says, what does he say in Matthew 5? If anyone forces you to go one mile, right? Go with him two miles. Literally go the extra mile. I mean, where do you think that saying came from? I mean, a lot of our sayings today, a lot of our idioms actually come from the word. It's pretty cool. So yeah, going the extra mile, that comes from Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount of going beyond the duty when we're ministering to others. And what I want us to see today is the extent to which Paul went to minister to others and then see it as a pattern for us. Okay? So here's what he lays out in the first nine verses. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read through the, some of the words that we've already looked at. So if you want to kind of skim as I'm mentioning particular words, 
in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 2, he mentions boldness. Then he mentions him coming to the Thessalonians without error or impurity, verse 3. He, he talks about not attempting to deceive them, also in verse 3. He talks about being approved by God and being entrusted with the gospel, in verse 4, as well as speaking to please not man but God. Then in verse 5, he's, he's talking about we didn't come with words of flattery. We didn't come with uh, a context or pretext for greed. Verse 6, he talks about not seeking glory. Verse 7, he talks about being gentle. Verse 8, he talks about being affectionately desirous of you, sharing the gospel with you, and sharing our own lives with you in verse 9. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to summarize that is because sometimes when you're going through certain passages a little bit slower, you can miss kind of the bigger picture. So he's listed quite a few things, and then he's going to sum it up here in the next few verses. Let's pick it up in verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So Paul has listed his, his, his conduct, essentially, and then he kind of wraps it up here. What, why is he doing this? I mean, why is he listing all these things? Again, let's keep it in the, in the context of the bigger picture. In, verse, uh, in chapter 1, he actually talks about their condition. Think about what we've already looked at so far. The gospel came to them in word, power, and the Holy Spirit, and they received it, right? But they not only received it, they received it, verse 6 of chapter 1, in much affliction. And do you remember what else, how they received it? the joy of the Holy Spirit. This resulted in them becoming examples to all the believers in two major areas. What are those major areas? Macedonia and Achaia. All right? Not little tiny dots on the map, large regions in biblical times. And then he kind of sums it up in verse 8, your faith has gone forth everywhere. So he tells them where they're at, and how they're doing. And then he goes on to say, hey, this is where I'm at. Okay? Basically, he's saying, like, I love you, I care for you, and here's how I've shown it. He lays that out in verses 1 through 9, so that then he can work into exhorting, encouraging, and challenging them in verses 10, 11, and 12. So back in verse 9, he mentions this. He works night and day so as not to be what to any of them? A burden. Who wants to be a burden? Anybody want to be a burden? No. But here's the truth. All of us, at times, are burdens. And you know what? That's okay. If, if, if we've ever gone through something challenging, if we've ever dealt with something, even if we've just ever been sick, right? That is a burden of sorts that we place on other people, whether it's our spouse or our children. If we're going through something horrible, some sickness or disease that might last for quite a while, right? Others are being called to come and help us out. 
we might be at a position where we can't minister as effectively for a particular season, and we need others to minister to us. What does Paul say? We, hey, we work night and day because we didn't want to be that burden. You ever work night and day? I mean, I've been on mission trips like where I've worked night and day. I've had big events coming up for the church where I've worked night and day preparing for them. Sometimes you talk to people in the IT field, there's probably some special term for it, uh, but when they're launching a new software or program, you know, they're hitting the little button to, boom, go live, right? Like all of them are on call, and, and they might run a couple 24-hour shifts where at a moment's notice or if the program crashes or something's going wrong, boom, they're there night and day making sure things work. And it, it even always amazed me, like, with Andrea's OBGYN doctor, like, you know, our baby can be being born at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then that doctor's there five or six hours later for her 8, 9 o'clock in the morning appointments. Like, that's some serious night and day working, right? But that wears on you, doesn't it? It's a tough pace to keep up for any length of time. Paul's doing it, so he doesn't want to be a burden. Here's what it says, though. I want you to see this in Galatians chapter 6. Turn there, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians, because we'll be coming back. Here's what it says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And then, and then catch what he says as the conclusion. And so, fulfill the law of Christ. So, we don't want to be a burden, but we also want to help others with their burdens. And here's the thing. Sometimes we can get so focused on dealing with our burdens, the different things that we have going on in our life, that we actually don't see the burdens of others. And we can come very introspective and kind of forget the external of what's going on. Now let me say this first. Sometimes there's a season for that. If you're going through a really rough time or dealing with something, actually it's, it, it can be healthy and good to have a little introspection and a little focus on yourself. I think our culture as a whole, including the church, has too much of it going on. We're very much internally focused. What's good for me? What's best for me? What, what do I want? And there's not much external perspective or focus on others. We need to open our eyes to the needs of others. It's amazing to me sometimes if I have a burden or I'm dealing with something, it's amazing how the Lord starts to work some of that out when I start ministering to others. When I get my eyes off myself and start doing ministry, the Lord many, many, many times ministers to me. I mean, have you ever found that to be true, where you're doing ministry, and in turn, you get ministered to? Sometimes when I'm giving people counsel, or if I'm meeting with people, or talking with them, a lot of times, I mean, they've come to me for advice, or counsel, or a question, or something like that, and in the process of us talking, like the Lord is speaking to me, they might not even know it, but the Lord is speaking to me different truths, and ministering to my heart. But that comes in the context of us looking to serve and minister to others. If we all focused on bearing other people's burdens, I think we'd see our burdens being lightened. 
Why? Because others would be helping us out. If we're all focused on others, then they're ministering to us, and they're bearing our burdens, and we're bearing their burdens. So look what Paul continues to say back in 1 Thessalonians. He goes from that, about talking about not being a burden, and then he says this, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So he actually appeals. I mean, that's an appeal. You are witnesses. And then he calls God into it also. God also witnessed what? Our conduct toward you. Listen, friends. Actions can give credence to your words. Actions can give credence to your words. They back up your words. They show that, that the words you're speaking, you actually believe them because you're acting on them. Paul, his yes is yes, and his no is no. So here's a little question for you. Do your actions back up your words? I mean, just think about that for a minute. Because a lot of times we can have the right words, but our actions don't necessarily back it up. We can speak, we can speak truth, but are we doing truth? Mark Twain, the famous author, uh, for a time had a propensity for cursing. And his wife was not very pleased with it. So she, she wrote down every word that he had said. And she came to him and she just, she just read off that list to him. You know what his response was? You have the right notes, but not the right tune. This is how we can be with our words, right? The right words. We can actually say the right thing, but not with the right tune. We can talk about grace, and we can talk about grace, and we can talk about grace when in really we're acting like our tone, our tune, indicates we mean law, law, law. That is a a narrative that can't go together. It sends conflicting messages to our neighbors, to our friends, to our spouse, to our children. You have to have righteous living, uh, both with words and both with deeds. That's why he's saying, look, we proclaimed the gospel, but we also basically lived the gospel. We were righteous in our living. Notice what he says then in verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children... Now, in verse 7, he talked about mothers. Now he talks about fathers. What does the father do in this picture? Let's read verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Listen, fathers are to instruct, lead, and guide their children. The primary responsibility for biblical instruction is the father. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, who is that command given to? Fathers. Do mothers do that? I hope so, right? But who is the primary responsibility given to? Fathers. Listen, when we talk about roles in society, when we talk about roles in the home, when we talk about roles in the church, Scripture gives certain roles to wives and certain roles to husbands. Scripture gives certain roles to mothers and certain roles to fathers. Scripture gives certain roles to pastors and certain roles to parishioners. Certain, scripture gives certain roles to civic leaders, and Scripture gives certain roles to members of society. Does that mean that any of those roles are better or worse? No. Okay. Just making sure we're on the same page. Does that mean any of those roles are, are more favored? No. All right. I mean, is me being a pastor, I mean, is that, do I have more favor with the Lord just by being the position of a pastor? No. No. Okay. You have just as much standing as a non-pastor as a pastor does before the Lord. Your prayers can be that much impactful. It doesn't say the prayers of a pastor availeth much, right? The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. So that doesn't mean God likes them more. No, I mean, none of that is anywhere to be found in the Bible. But God has specific jobs and specific roles. Even if you think about the unseen world. He has specific roles. There's even an hierarchy within the angels. You got the cherubim, the seraphim, you got angels, you have archangels. Different roles. Someone, God had to choose someone to deliver the message to Joseph, right? They had a role. God had to choose someone to deliver the message to Mary, right? They had a role. So, God himself shows us what? Even in the unseen, there's roles that are given. Here's the thing. I want you to notice. Paul's talking about his testimony before them. Holy, righteous, blameless. Does that mean he never sinned? Just making sure we're on the same page. So that means you can, you can live holy, righteous, and blameless, but you're still going to sin, right? Right? But what does it mean? What does that mean then, if there's going to be sin involved? Well, part of righteous living and holy living and blameless living is righteous repentance. All right, realizing where we're at before the Lord, realizing what our position is before God. Part of righteous living is seeking forgiveness. Okay, it, it, it's a fact you're going to sin. All right, it's a fact I'm going to sin. The question is not whether if you will, it's when you will. And then the question is, what do you do when it happens? Okay, do you go and address the issue? Do you address the issue before you and the Lord? And then do you address the issue between you and the person that you sinned against? So part of righteous living is admitting specific wrongdoing. It's the log in the eye principle, friends. We all have logs of various sizes in our eyes. But are we walking around acting like we don't have any? 
Well, some of us might be. Are we doing anything about the log? Well, I hope so. And Paul says, because of his living, he wants to exhort them. He wants to do it like a father with his children. He exhorts, he encourages, and he charges. Let's look at each of those words. First, exhort. I think the NIV uses the word encourage. These first two words, uh, their overlap of meeting greatly intersects. So they have uh, similar meanings. So NIV is going to use encourage here, and then they're going to use comfort in the second one, where ESV uses exhort and encourage. That's okay. This is one of the principal verbs that Paul uses when we talk about him giving instruction and encouraging or exhorting people is this very first word we see translated exhorted or encouraged. In some contexts, it might mean to console or comfort, but here when we talk about moral instruction, it conveys the meaning of exhort or urge to a certain action. So he wants to have them do a certain action. This second word, encourage, is when someone tries to encourage or persuade another to a certain type of living. Are they going to take this particular truth and actually live it out? And then the third one, charge, is probably the strongest of the three. And you can see it there. Urge in the NAV, implore in the NAS, charge here in the ESV, suggests the idea of insisting or requiring that a certain course of action be adopted. So these three together summarize, as one theologian said, the exhortation, persuasion, and insistence which the apostolic team, Paul and his team with him, delivered the moral instruction to each one of the members of this church. And what's the context of them delivering it? A fatherly concern. A fatherly concern. Not, not, not just the apostle speaking, but as a father to his children. A fatherly concern. Here's the thing, friends. If we want to do verse 12, if we want to exert encourage, and charge, whether it's in the context of friendships, whether it's in the context of the family, we've got to have verse 10 in place. Holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct. Otherwise, you're a Pharisee. I was uh, talking with a gentleman the other day, owns his own uh, mowing company. And um, as we were talking, one of his, uh, his employees showed up wrapping up the day. And they, they put the equipment away, and, and all of them left except one. And, and he, he came up to, to his boss and was like, Mr. Mr. Hearns, um, the other day, or I think it was yesterday, uh, I forgot to mention to you, but when, when I was driving the company truck, I ended up scraping it along the edge there. And, and I will do whatever you want, take it out of my paycheck, but whatever needs to be done, like um, do what you think needs to be done. You know, and, and his boss, Mr. Hearns, was very gracious um, and, and said, you know, we'll, 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 we were talking, we'll address it and, and don't worry about it. But one of the things that it, it made me kind of realize a little bit as I, was, as I was reflecting on it later was this employee owning up to his mistakes. 
and this employee, because think about it, and we've all been in that situation like, oh, well, there's five employees in this company, so if I claim ignorance on who scratched the truck, different people have been driving this truck, right? So we'll just say, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was somebody else, or maybe someone, someone else swiped by the truck. It'd be just easy to, to, to take the easy route, to lie about it. But this employee owned it. And one of the things I encourage with my children is to own their sin. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> if you sin, then own up to it. Don't make justification for it. Don't make excuses for it. If you get called on something that you've done wrong, then, you know, we've always got justification. There's always a reason, all right? I, I don't blow up at my kids because I just had the greatest day at work and everything is going peachy, right? I'm blown up, yeah, because of this reason or that reason or this. There's always excuses and reasons. Yeah, something didn't go my way, so there's a sinful reaction. Well, we're always going to have excuses. We're always going to have reasons. God wants us to own our sin. If you don't own your sin, your sin will own you. Think about that. So own up to it. Okay? Be a godly man that God's calling you to be. Be a godly woman that God's calling you to be. And if you mess up, like, own that. Own it, and then do what it takes to make it right. Because a lot of times, but here's the thing, parents, grandparents, like, if we want them to do that, and if we want that in our relationships with one another, you know, if, if, I, want, if I want George to do that, guess what? i got to model that as well. If I want my kids to do that, then i got to do that. So that when I mess up, what? i got to own it. And i got to go make it right. And i got to acknowledge it. And I gotta, even though i got a thousand excuses, and every single one of them is perfect and great and explains exactly why, I reacted sinfully. That's not really the point. The point is you sinned. And guess what? When you're sinned against, usually those reasons really don't matter to you, do they? You've been sinned against. You've been hurt. There's an offense. And when you start throwing out different excuses or justifications, it looks like, and actually you are, minimizing your sin. God doesn't want us to do that. I mean, think about that. When you minimize your sin, you, you, you really even minimize what God and Christ has done for you. Now, your sin is egregious and horrible and awful and cost Jesus his very life. That's serious. So own it. Own your sin or your sin will own you. Part of that means walking in humility. Have you ever been apologized to by someone and you're like, well, I mean, they're, they're apologizing, so you, you kind of have like this obligation almost to forgive them, but you're like, oh, that doesn't seem very real, right? There's almost an attitude about it. A lot of times you can tell when someone's sincere about their apology. Not always, but a lot of times. You've got to walk in humility. You've got to humble yourself. And, and that's what blew me away with this employee. I mean, he humbled himself. I'm like, here I am. He doesn't even know me. I'm standing here having this conversation. And, you know, so I kind of like act like I was like working on something, you know, listening to the conversation the whole time. But he humbled himself. He owned his sin. He humbled himself. And, he, and what did he do? He was willing to do whatever the boss wanted to make it right. Take it out of his paycheck. 
whatever, work extra. He was willing to do something to make it right. And he wasn't putting any terms on it. Man, that's the type of employee you want. So let's talk about application of these verses that we've looked at. One, I've already challenged you a little bit, but I want to challenge you again. Can we say what verse 10 says about our own selves regarding our conduct? Look back at verse 10. Holy, righteous, and blameless. On our own, that's not possible. It's just not. With Jesus, it is. You can walk righteously before him and honor him. Friends, Paul called others to righteous living because he himself was a model of righteous living. And here's the thing. Gospel talking and gospel walking go hand in hand. So if we're going to talk about the gospel, we've got to walk out that gospel. If we're going to talk about the gospel, then we've got to be about the gospel. Now the gospel itself is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners, and that all that put their trust in him are forgiven of their sins. That should result in a transformed life. In fact, it does result in a justified life, and it should result in a continued sanctified life. Once you put your trust in Christ, boom, it's done. The judge has declared what? Not guilty. Not guilty. And then slowly, and sometimes fastly, the Lord starts to do a work in you. Think about your own salvation. Especially for those that maybe you got saved a little bit later in life. Like, God was cutting all sorts of stuff out. I think, actually, sometimes we forget that he was actually adding all sorts of stuff in. All right? We, we always talk about, oh, I stopped doing this, and I stopped doing that, and I stopped doing... Well, that's true. But I also started to display the fruits of the Spirit. I, also, I, was, I was more loving. I was more kind. I was more gentle. Some, thing, some of those things I never had before. And God, it's like, boom. Gave them right to me. And other things, right? Slowly, over time... He's been working on. But here, here, I want you to notice this. So he talks about holy, righteous, and blameless, verse 10. Verse 12, look towards the middle. He says, we exhorted each one of you, encourage you, and charge you to do what? Walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in a manner worthy of God. I mean, what does that mean? Walking in a way that pleases him. We can do things that please the Lord, and we can do things that displease the Lord. Our, my children can do things that please me, and they can do things that don't please me. Does that change my love for them? No. Does that mean I might be more pleased or less pleased, depend on their actions? Yes. Same with the Lord. Same with our Father in heaven. Walk in a manner worthy of God. What pleases the Lord? Y'all knew the answers until right now? Yeah. Obeying his commandments, right? 
obeying his commandments. The do, 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 do commands, and also the don't, 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 don't commands. But those please him, following him and living it out. And I want you to notice something here. If you're not paying attention, notice the link that he makes with our eschatological future. Notice the link he makes with our eschatological future. What's our eschatological future? Like end time stuff, all right, folks? Like when Jesus is coming back. He says, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Right? This, this future look, this end time look of what God is going to do for his children. And when we're living our life, we've got to do much, much more than just think about the here and the now. Think about that. We've got to think about the future kingdom of God, the one that we have a place in, the one that we have a position in. We have a future relationship with the Father in his kingdom. Yes, we have one now. I hope it looks much, much, much better in the future, and it will. Now I see dimly. Then I see what? Face to face. So yes, we have a relationship with the Father, but it will be enhanced, beautified, glorified, literally, in the future. So when we're talking about living before the Lord, friends, we gotta, we got to keep almost like one eye on the present and what God wants us doing, but we got to keep one eye to the future and what lies in wait for each one of us. It's the hope of glory that Paul talks about. There is always the hope of what lies ahead. Right now, you might have all sorts of stuff going on, all sorts of rough stuff, all sorts of trials, all sorts of temptations. You might not feel like there's much hope like for today, but there is always hope that Christ has in the future for you. There is always a reminder of what God has in store for us. One last thing. I just want to say this. If God has pointed something out in your life, why do you think that that you need to work on? Why do you think he's done that? Because he wants you to work on it, right? He wants you to work on it. So sometimes I'll be talking with people and, oh, I'm weak in this area or I'm weak in that area. You know what that means? The Lord wants you to work on it. He's been gracious to reveal it to you. And he wants you to give that some energy, some time, some prayer, some repentance, some seeking him. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, man, I just, that's, that's been my, that, my weak thing for 15 years. Well, come on, friends, get to lifting some spiritual weights in that area. All right? Work on that area. The Lord pointed that out to you 15 years ago. Then give it some attention. Okay, get in that spiritual weight room. And don't say, I can't change. All right? That, that's an insult to the Lord. It really is. Because if, if Jesus has changed you, then he can continue to transform you. If he's done a work in you, then he can continue that work. All right, you might be trying to hit that pause button on the DVD player. But he's trying to hit play. He wants things moving forward. So don't say you can't change. Because you're saying that about Jesus. Look, the Holy Spirit can do a great work in you on any issue, on any subject, on any sin. It's true. So I encourage you, if that's the case, address it, deal with it work on it. God in his, in his providence, in his kindness, in his goodness, in his love, he reveals those things. 
right? He's revealing stuff to me where I'm falling short. He didn't reveal that stuff to me five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years. Why? Because he's revealing other stuff, right? And some of that stuff I've worked through, right? And I'm growing, and he's sanctifying me. The, the same I know is true for many of you. He's pointed something out, and you've worked on Well, whatever he's pointing out right now, he wants you giving that some attention and focus. In his goodness, he's like, John, Julie, Frank, like, I love you so much. I'm, I'm showing you this, and I want you to work on it. I'm pointing it out. Why? Because he wants you to do what? To be like him. He wants you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And friends, if we have the Holy Spirit, and every single believer does, like we have the strength and the power for God to do that within us. But it's not just like we're sitting on the sidelines over here waiting for him to come along. That drives me crazy. Believer after believer I talk to, like, I'm just waiting for God to do something. I'm just waiting for God. No, he did do something. All right? 2,000 years ago. So if you're going to be sitting around, you're going to be sitting around until those end times come, it sounds like. Because he did something. And a lot of times people are just waiting around for God to wake them up or something. The fact that you know you need to be awakened is the wake-up call. All right? When you're asleep, do you know you're asleep? Think about that. No, so it's once you're awakened, you're like, oh, I've been asleep. So if you know that you've been asleep, and God is like, man, your, your heart is cold. You are not on fire. I mean, he, he's trying to wake, that is him speaking. That is him trying to wake you up. That is him showing you, hey, come alive. Look what, just look in Ephesians for a second. Ephesians. Chapter 5. I mean, this whole chapter here in 5 is really good. Look what he says. We're going to start, oh, well, let's start in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. That's what we've been talking about, walking in a manner worthy of God. How? As beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he goes on, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And he goes on, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Think about that in verse 6. No one deceive you with empty words. He just read verse 5 about who's not inheriting the kingdom. Everything our world and culture says, says, Verse 5 is a joke and a lie and not the truth. You do whatever you want and you can be fine with God. He's all just fine and loving and he wouldn't send anybody to hell. That, that's not how unjust of him. No. Let no one deceive you with those empty words. Some are being deceived. 
Therefore, he goes on, verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He goes on, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And then notice this, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some of us need to be awakened. We need to be awakened. Some of you might need to be initially awakened for salvation. By God himself. That's what it says back in Thessalonians. He's calling you into his kingdom and glory. And some of you he's calling today into his kingdom and glory. You can have that through faith in Christ. Some of you he's calling to wake up from your slumber of sin. And to get right. To humble yourself. To repent. To own your sin. And to go make it right with whoever you need to make it right with. And let the Lord start doing some work on you, on those areas that you're struggling with. That's, that's a repentant spirit, friends, that we need. And God loves us so much that he will do that and show that to us. And have others encourage, rebuke, exhort, correct us on those things. That's love. It is love. So let's receive that love from the Lord. Let's receive it, and then let's walk in that love. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those here that don't know you. You know which ones those are, and only you do. I pray that if they are deceived in thinking they're saved, that you would do what Ephesians says and awaken them today. Be gracious to save them, Father, young or old. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here, some of who might be slumbering, that the word awake would be for them today. And they would awake in Christ like you say, you would shine on them and expose the darkness and bring it into the light. Jesus, give us hearts of repentance. Willing to bow our knee before your throne in humility, and confess our sins and seek forgiveness from you and from those we've wronged. Lord, your word says if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
I pray that anyone, Lord, that has already repented even during this time of prayer, that you would remind them of that verse in the sweetness of it. Father, we thank you for your spirit that he fills us, that he strengthens us, that he empowers us to walk in a way that pleases you. Let us receive your word today, Father, and act accordingly.